0: The critique is as common as complaints about used car salesmen or crooked politicians. Coach only plays his favorites. If you want to be one of your coach's favorites, then there are a few things that you can do. The first one and the most difficult one is you can practice hard and hone your skills, or the easier route is trying to manipulate your coach into giving you more playing time. One route is ethical and the other is a little bit shady. My family chose the shady route for my twin brother. He was a college senior playing in his last football game. And by playing, I mean standing on the sidelines. As a walk-on and not having played high school football, there were a few other players that were ahead of my brother. So my family and I started chanting, Oh, Joe, sing, go. Oh, Joe, sing, go. His number was 85. We started chanting his number, and soon enough, the coach put him in. We like to think that it was our chanting that reminded the coach he has a player, number 85. Jeremy would like to think that it was his own athleticism that got him playing time. Whichever it was, he got to play a few downs. And after the game, Jeremy let us know how embarrassing it was for his family to be chanting his number. So we didn't do that again. It also helped that it was his last game. Outside of intimidation, though... There are other ways that you can encourage a coach to get you or your child more playing time. Whether it's using political strings with school board positions, shoveling your coach's driveway in the winter, or trading other favors, or a number of other things, ethics aside, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as the saying goes. You might be beyond the stages of bribing coaches, but what about trying to find favor with other people? Trying to find favor with other people in your life who have something to offer you. Like being friends with a police officer. So when you get pulled over speeding, you just get off with a wink and a warning. Or trying to please a boss that you, so that you're more likely to get the promotion or get the days off that you requested. Maybe it's a teacher so you don't have to think as hard at school. Or you don't get called on to answer the tough questions finding favor with others, or being on people's good side can be a great thing. You just want to make sure that it's for the right reasons. Our text this morning mentions a man who found favor with a pretty important stranger. And it wasn't because of his embarrassing family chanting his number. It wasn't from coming from a family of influence. And it wasn't that he himself was anything special. It actually has absolutely nothing to do with him at all. Before we get into our text in Judges 6, allow me to summarize what's going on. Judges 6.1 says that the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The Israelites are here seven years into this harassment by the Midianites. Nomads who had found their way and made their home into the Israelites' land. The Midianites are described as being innumerable. And they had a camel cavalry corps that was a formidable foe for these Israelites. The Midianites were pillaging and plundering the promised land and everything it had to offer the Israelites, leaving them with nothing and driving them from their homes. So the Israelites had resorted to living in caves and hiding from their oppressors. It's a pretty stark contrast from this land flowing with milk and honey and peace and prosperity that they were promised. So the Israelites cry out to the Lord, And the Lord responds. He sent a prophet to them. A prophet to tell them, hey, I delivered you from Egypt. I offered you this land. I I gave this land to you and I told you not to worship the pagan gods of the people in the land. This is why I told you to get rid of them. To expel them completely from the land. Yet you didn't listen. The Lord explains that he is under no obligation to do anything for these people. They're getting what they deserve. Whether they realize it or not, this is what they have chosen. And then comes our text. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 24, as we learn how Gideon found favor with the Lord. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 24. And if you're able, out of respect for God's word, I invite you to stand. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 11, reading in Jesus' name. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if this Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go, in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house, But the Lord said to him, "'Surely I will be with you, "'and you shall defeat Midian as one man.' So Gideon said to him, "'If now I have found favor in your sight, "'then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. "'Please do not depart from here until I come back to you "'and bring out my offering and lay it before you.' And he said, "'I will remain until you return.' Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, "Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth." And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still an Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Father God, these are your words and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth today. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, we pray that your word would do what it's designed to do in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The text starts out with Gideon trying to survive these miserable conditions. He's threshing wheat, but not in a place where you would expect him or where anyone should be threshing wheat. He's threshing it in a wine press, because he can't do it in the normal place. If he does it in the normal place where the wind takes the chaff and blows it away, the Midianites would find him and steal his hard work. So here he is, secretly beating his wheat. And as Gideon is doing this, a visitor comes by. The text tells us who the stranger is. The stranger is the angel of the Lord. Gideon doesn't know who the stranger is. We know because the text says so. But the angel of the Lord comes and he sits down behind, underneath an oak tree nearby. question must be asked, what's the angel of the Lord doing here? That ship has sailed. Remember what the prophet had just told him verses before. Saying, hey, you guys chose this. You guys chose to be abandoned by the Lord. You guys chose to turn your back on him and you're reaping what you've sown right now. The angel of the Lord comes and sits down underneath this oak. And he watches Gideon beating his wheat. And for some untold reason, Gideon finds favor with this stranger. Again, Gideon still has no idea who this is. Then the angel of the Lord speaks and says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I can imagine Gideon thinking to himself, Give me a break. How can you say the Lord? Is with me? Don't you see what's going on? Is your head buried in the sand? Don't you see me threshing here in a wine press of all places? A wine press because I'm too afraid to thresh out in the open. Doesn't he know about the marauding Midianites? What's he doing, calling me a valiant warrior? Where's the valor in threshing in secret? Where's the valor in hiding from your oppressor? Did this guy really just come here to mock me? Just let me work in peace. The Lord is with me? You've got to be kidding me. We don't have to guess what Gideon was thinking because his response is recorded for us in verse 13. He says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The angel of the Lord didn't waste time with small talk. He he could have taken Gideon's doubts as another sign of what the Israelites thought of God, knowing that God had abandoned them and God wanted nothing to do with them anymore. But instead, the angel of the Lord sticks around. And notice what verse 14 says. Notice who speaks to Gideon in verse 14. The Lord. And that's Lord in all caps. This is God talking to Gideon face to face. If there was ever any doubt of who this angel of the Lord is, as just being some random messenger, here in verse 14, the messenger is identified as the Lord. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? The Lord hadn't abandoned his people. He was about to deliver them again, and this time he's going to use Gideon. Gideon still doesn't believe it, though. He can't. He responds in verse 15 that he lacks the family pedigree. God, I don't come from the right family tree. We learn more about his family in verse 25. We learn that his family has their own altar for Baal. God, you can't use me. I'm from a family of pagans. I've got my own altar at home to worship this other God. His family didn't fear the Lord. They worshiped Baal. So how could Gideon be the one to deliver Israel? The stranger surely has the wrong man for the job. And again, at this point, Gideon still has no idea who is talking with him. The Lord speaks to Gideon again and says, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Gideon is still hesitant. He needs more proof. Why should he believe this stranger? Why would you believe a stranger that came up to you and said, Hey, you're the chosen one to deliver you you and your people from all this oppression right now. He proposes a test and responds. He says, If you are really the one who is speaking to me. And if I've really found favor in your sight, if I'm the one to deliver all these Israelites from the Midianites, then you show me. Gideon offers to prepare a feast, and if the man is still here when Gideon returns, then Gideon will know who is speaking to him. Gideon will know that he isn't just seeing things, he's not just making things up. And so Gideon leaves to prepare a meal. He starts baking the bread and preparing a young goat. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to prepare a goat. I haven't. But I'm guessing that it's not something that's done quickly. Again, I've never tried to do it, but I don't think that you can just microwave a goat or stick a whole goat in an air fryer and in 15 minutes have a full meal. Besides, this was before microwaves and air fryers. The text mentions that he goes to prepare this young goat And he prepares bread from an ephah of flour. An ephah is 40 pounds of flour. How long would it take you to prepare a loaf of bread or many loaves of bread to use 40 pounds of flour? You can't just snap your fingers and have it done. This was no quick feat. So Gideon is working on preparing this meal. And time is going by, time is ticking, wondering, is this man still going to be there when I bring this food back? Gideon prepares the food and brings it back to the stranger under the oak tree. He lays the spread out in front of him, and the angel of the Lord touches it with the end of his staff, and poof, it's all gone. Not even a trace left. It all goes up in flames, and the angel vanishes, leaving Gideon to think about what had just happened. He could say, where did all that flour go? Where did all that meat go? Where did all my hard work go? But that's not what he focuses on. Gideon immediately puts two and two together and realizes who this stranger is. That this stranger is not some random stranger. And he exclaims, Alas, O Lord God! For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. As Gideon makes that terrifying realization, he realizes he's just been talking to the angel of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, there was a story that came out, I don't know if you are familiar with Mike Rowe or not, but Mike Rowe is flying someplace, and he's sitting on a plane next to a dear older lady who is working on a crossword puzzle, and she's stuck on one question. She doesn't know the answer to it. She doesn't know what this clue is getting at, and Mike Rowe is there, and she says, excuse me, sir, can you help me answer this question? He reads the question, and he realizes the answer is Mike Rowe. And so he laughs to himself, lady, you don't even know who you are asking right now. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but the answer is me. It's Mike Rowe. So she gets the answer right, and they all move on, and he's just sitting there, but she has no idea who I am. Imagine, though, being Gideon here, having talking with this angel of the Lord, explaining all of your doubts, saying, the Lord has abandoned us. He has no place for us anymore. He can't use me. I've got this altar of this other God that I worship. Gideon lays it all out on the table. And he realizes, I've laid this all out on the table to the only one who could do something about it. I have just explained all of my sins out there before the angel of the Lord. How would the Lord respond to Gideon's unbelief and Gideon's lack of faith? Gideon didn't have much time to react, but we see his immediate reaction of being just sheer terror. Oh, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. This isn't an exciting thing for him. This is a terrifying thing for him. But the Lord speaks to Gideon and says, peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Speaking face to face with the Lord and he is made aware of all of his sin, all of his unbelief. And the Lord comes to him and says, you will not die, it's okay. I've come to bring you peace. So Gideon builds an altar to the Lord and he gives it a name that all the people will know who the Lord is. The Lord is peace. Gideon doesn't build an altar here to make up for his past sins. He doesn't build an altar here to find favor with the Lord or to stay on the Lord's good side. He builds an altar because he, is all, he already has the Lord's favor. He builds an altar so that others would also know the Lord's favor. The Lord came to give peace to Gideon and to deliver his people. He builds an altar so that the world may know the Lord is peace. Despite the fact that Gideon was full of doubt, Despite the fact that Gideon and his family served other gods. Despite the fact that Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Despite the fact that Gideon is here living in fear, threshing his wheat in a wine press. The Lord declares to Gideon, peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Have you ever wondered what it would take for you to get on God's good side? What it would take for you to find favor with the Lord, that the Lord would say the same thing to you. That, hey, it's okay, don't worry, don't be afraid. I come to bring you peace. Man has always been skilled at coming up with their own ways to earn God's favor. In fact, every single religion can be boiled down to appeasing the gods. And whatever you do, you try to live your life in a way that doesn't tick God off, or a way that keeps God happy. That's religion in a nutshell. How often do we treat Christianity in the same way? As we reduce it to simply making God happy by what we do or what we don't do. We reduce it to a list of do's and don'ts. When our focus, in our, our focus is centered on keeping God happy or on, from keeping God mad, we're no different than any other religion. And it boils down to just a work of man. And we forget the very thing that sets Christianity apart. Forget the central message of Christianity. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. When we think that there's something that we can do that would somehow make us at peace with God, something that we can do to earn God's favor, we're forgetting that Christ has already done that on our behalf. We act as though we can offer a more pleasing sacrifice to the Lord than the death of his own son. And we forget that we are declared right with God, not by our own works or our own merit, but by faith through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who has reconciled us with the Father. Jesus is the one who has paid for our sins. Jesus is the one who gives us peace. And Jesus alone is the one who can do that. Jesus alone is the only one who can make us stand before God in all confidence. Rather than pointing to our family trees, rather than pointing to our good works or our reputation, we ought to look back to Jesus. So where do you look? to find out what Christ thinks of you. Have you ever been to a place where you're ashamed of your sin? Where you don't want to bring it out into the open because you know what's going to happen? Where you have regretted the things that you've said? You've regretted the things that you've thought or the things that you've done or the things that you haven't done? Have you ever wondered how the Lord could use or even just accept a miserable failure like yourself and like me? It's not because you're some hidden valiant warrior with all kinds of special skills that God just can't wait to use. But it's because God interacts with you through Jesus. It's because the Lord is peace. It's because Jesus, again, has accomplished that for you in your stead. It's because Christ has reconciled us to God. As Paul said, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of glory, of the glory of God. When conviction of sin comes, when doubts arise as to whether God can accept you or if Christ can forgive you, remember who the Lord is and what he says. No, the angel of the Lord probably isn't going to come and sit underneath your oak tree this afternoon. But the Lord still comes to you in his body and in his blood through his word. And he proclaims to you the same thing he proclaims to Gideon. Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. He gives to us his body and blood to strengthen our assurance that yes, Jesus has accomplished salvation for me. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has made peace with God for me on my behalf. And each time that we receive communion, we are reminded what it was and what it is that brings us peace. You see, finding favor with God doesn't come from our own merits or our own worthiness, our own ability to perform or our ability to obey God perfectly, but it comes entirely by grace, through faith, because of what Christ has done. There are no bribes, there are no strings attached, there's no shady business dealings. There's no family influence or baggage. That's only the, by the blood of Christ shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you are still finding yourself trying to find favor with God today, Christ comes to you today through his body and blood to say to you, peace to you, do not fear. Your sins are forgiven. Finding favor with God today and every day comes only and always through the blood of Christ and through Christ alone, who has accomplished salvation for you, who has made peace with you, and who comes to you through his word and through sacrament and says, peace to you. You shall not die. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. We thank you, God, that we are able to be laid bare before you and not have to be afraid. Lord, to not have to fear being wiped out right then and there, but you are gracious, you are loving, you are kind, and you have accomplished forgiveness, and you forgive us of our sins. Thank you, God, that you have accomplished favor with us, that you have made peace with with us, that you are the reconciler, you are the justifier, you are the one who has made things right on our behalf. We praise you for that. Lord, help us today to find our favor with you comes from you and you alone. And help us, Lord, to realize that you have come to proclaim peace to us. But Lord, also that you have come to proclaim peace to our kids and to all who are far off. Lord, that we would also be messengers of your grace, sharing this message with those that, who you have placed in our lives, that they too would know that the Lord is peace, that they would know that their sins have been forgiven by you, and that they too would find peace and favor through your blood. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.